Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Lance Talbert in the studio today filling in uh, for Rhino. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music in the Element Well studio. Lance, welcome to the program, man. Hey, I'm glad to be here, Gerard. Uh, it's it's an honor. I know that Rhino tried hard to get here, but uh, I'm going to have fun hanging out with you today. Well, I appreciate you uh, you're coming in. I know you produced uh, Mr. Gallo's show uh, this morning, so it's double duty today. Rhino said he just couldn't get out of the parking lot. I think he was uh, decided to stay put after witnessing some vehicles in the parking lot spinning about. <laughs> And he's not far from the studio. I will admit, a friend ferried me in this morning in his four-wheel drive vehicle. I do not have a four-wheel drive. I, I just spent the night here. You did? Okay. Yeah, I just came in late. Uh, not too late. Brought some spaghetti. And okay. came in and just uh, pallet partied this baby. I'm a duck hunter, so okay. it's fun. You're, okay. Well, so that... Uh, is reminiscent of a couple of years ago when I hung out at the Hilton right around the corner here. I think for three days I was talking about that on the program Monday, uh, surviving off of Twix bars and Cheez-Its, although Representative Rodney Hall from DeSoto County was a guest on Middays yesterday. He happened to catch Rhino and I discussing that episode on Friday. And so... Yesterday, he left some MREs. <laughs> he brought us a couple of packages in case we get stuck up here. We appreciate Representative Rodney Hall for accommodating well, us. he would have them, yeah. He's, that's right. He, that's exactly Which right. Which one? Did you get, like, lasagna? Uh, or what, what spaghetti? Did you have? Spaghetti? And macaroni or yeah. something. you got to have the pastas in there. <laughs> yeah, I got the old MREs. So we appreciate that. But we are here. We appreciate you uh, getting here. It was kind of touch and go. Wasn't sure, but a uh, a friend was gracious enough to offer transportation. Had already been on the roads uh, getting his wife to work, who uh, needed to be in, uh, works locally at a uh, hospital. And uh, so he had already tested the roads, if you will. The interstates aren't terrible. I'm not suggesting people get out there. Let me let me be clear. You should not stay home. But the side streets that don't get obviously the level of traffic and certainly don't have the sort of uh, vehicles, trucks, for example, with uh, that apply a lot of weight. 
and have tended to sort of clear the interstate lanes up somewhat. You can see the concrete. However, when we turned on to County Line Road, right up the street here, off the interstate, not only was it slick, so Lance coming up from Ridgewood Road on the north side of County Line Road, folks familiar with the area know what I'm talking about. There is a, uh, I believe, a Chevron station there on the corner. That there was a flatbed truck that was not loaded, so it did not have weight. It was spinning about, and it has got the road blocked right there. It's, so it's cutting over the curb as they typically do to the sidewalk there to make the turn because there is a. A, a concrete neutral area that splits the road there on county line. And so he was turning. And when we passed him, the uh, the middle set of wheels was just <laughs> were just spinning on that ice. And there's a police officer in a vehicle with the blue lights on at the intersection uh, for obvious reasons. So not a cool deal. We're going to have Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation, Brad White, call in in the next segment. Brad will give us an update on road conditions, travel, etc. from across uh, the Magnolia State. He and uh, the MDOT folks have, have really been good on social media, constantly updating us with the status of roads and, and also informing us of what actions they're taking to uh, mitigate the weather. But right now, it's, uh, it's, it's a problem to travel, certainly from, what would you say, Lance, the central part of the state, and we'll get the details from Brad, all the way through the northern part of the state. Well, I, I had the MDOT uh, traffic cams open all morning. Okay. And so from the top of the state, even Loosedale, was getting snow this morning. So I had the cam open down there, and it was snowing in Loosedale. I saw that. It was snowing here, but it was snowing there. So wherever you are, it's just, the key is just to be careful. The roads are not good. They may look traversable, but if you're not used to doing this, you're going to slide. Yeah. And it, uh, I, there's an 18-wheeler that's been parked on I-55 out here since about 7 o'clock yesterday. So, you know, it's, if they're not moving around very well, they got a lot more weight than our vehicles do. Yeah. And, but, yeah, again, the MDOT traffic cam is excellent. If you're going to get out, uh, it's good to go check it out and see what the roads look like. Those, those cameras are all over the state, and they were, they were very helpful for me in making a decision last night on whether I was driving over. So. so, by the way, folks, if you've got some photos you'd like to share with us, we'll be happy to post them in uh, our Super Talk social media accounts. If you've got some photos that uh, portray... Uh, the the winter wonderland across the state. I've seen lots of them uh, from across the state, particularly up uh, in Oxford. It seemed like they got a, a big dusting of snow, several inches, right? I've seen many of the university and just the town of Oxford, et cetera. Well, you also had somebody saying they can't believe that your Cadillac is not all-wheel drive. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it is, I don't know that it is, honestly. That could be on me. There's so much stuff in that thing. I'm still learning about it. I have to watch videos to <laughs> understand it. I, it could be. I'm not sure, honestly, now that I think about it, But because uh, I know my other one wasn't. This one may be. But nonetheless, a friend was gracious enough to offer. He had already been on the roads and and uh, had navigated them, so I certainly trusted him in that respect to get us here. But we're uh, we're glad we're here. Uh, we did not want to uh, leave the show 
with uh, airing a best of and, and not being able to bring you current information. So appreciate Lance for spending the night being here. And, uh, and the building is empty, though. The building is essentially not in operation today. Uh, it, it is. Uh, the, the gentleman who runs the building, he and I came, were visiting a little while ago, and he came in to get a cup of coffee, and he was making sure that there was salt all over the place out there, even though there probably won't be many people in the building today. Yeah. He's doing his job making sure we're all safe. That's so we right. Appreciate it. We certainly do appreciate that. I think schools, for the most part, closed for the better part of the state today. I, from what I can tell, everybody's taking it as seriously as they should. And they should. And, and they should. This, this is not stuff we get to do. We've had some great pictures most of the day. I uh, had, had one earlier where uh, a lady had said, you know, bamboo uh, does not like 19-degree weather, and they were all laid over on the road. It was a beautiful sight, but it's yeah. definitely not something that we're accustomed to. No, no, it's not uh, whatsoever. So, folks, just, just be careful. Uh, it looks like, certainly in central Mississippi, Highs around here today don't get out of the 20s, as I recall. Latest high I saw forecast, 26. It was cold. The wind has subsided a bit, although overnight you could hear it whistling around my house through the pine trees. It's a distinctive uh, whistling sound of that wind, even from inside. But this morning didn't seem to be uh, quite blowing quite as hard, which is good news. I'm not aware of any power outages as a result. Have you heard anything? I haven't seen that yet, so that that is definitely good news at this point. I haven't heard that because I don't think we got the ice and the freezing rain and the accumulation on the trees and the power lines. It typically does cause the power outages, so uh, thank uh, thank the Lord for that. Uh, I know the legislature is supposed to meet today. I'm not sure if that's still Scheduled or not, we do have Senator Jeremy England joining us at 12.05. And, uh, I believe we're going to have a gonna, remix with him. Going to call in. Okay, yeah, remix with us. Yes, sir. Yep, we've got uh, uh, Joel and Natasha, host and co-host of America's Roundtable Radio at 11.05. We'll get an update from them on the situation in, uh, in Israel, Palestine, the conflict, and also all the stuff going on in D.C. this week. Uh, we're about up against a break right here, but of course we had the uh, the caucuses in Iowa last night. Ninety nine counties. Mr. Trump carried all but one, all but one. I'll have to say that I was impressed with Mr. Trump's his comments, his uh, very short speech. It was a, a a very gracious and conciliatory presidential tone. I'm impressed. I'm grateful for that. He, he said something to the effect, you know, Governor DeSantis, Ambassador Nikki Haley, we had a good time, and Vivek Ramaswamy did a hell of a job. By the way, you probably know by now, Mr. Ramaswamy has suspended his campaign, has, has announced his endorsement for former President Donald Trump. In fact, I believe they're en route to New Hampshire. Mr. Trump has to make a stop, believe it or not, in court today before he heads to the next state. That primary, by the way, the state of New Hampshire, second in the nation, a week from today. Exactly a week from today. But we're stepping aside for a break. We're coming right back with Brad White from uh, MDOT. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
I'm having trouble trying to sleep I'm counting sheep but running out Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're live in the Element Wealth Studio. We welcome to the program now the Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation, uh, Brad White. Mr. Director, how are you today, sir? I'm well. I hope you all are. We are, and uh, I know it's been uh, a, a very, very active couple of days here for you, your great team, your department. Give us the latest on uh, the road situation. Sure. Well, you know, we've all—it's often been said that when weather's at its worst, that's when MDOT is at its best. And our folks began preparing for this, obviously, over the weekend and days in advance, and getting equipment ready and uh, getting prepared to do all the things necessary to try to make things as safe as possible. Uh, all over the state, our folks have been putting out pre-treatments the night before, salt, slag, and doing a lot of the plowing that I'm sure people have seen photographs of on line and on uh, television right now we've got out of our 82 counties at least 76 that have reports of severe you know ice on roadways and bridges even mm-hmm. as far south as harrison and hancock county uh, where i-10 and i-110 have been impacted uh, by that um so it, it's one of those situations that if you don't need to be out on the road i would encourage you to stay out uh, to my knowledge all of our interstates and, and highways are pretty much open uh, for essential traffic to be able to get through. Uh, but the fact of the matter is is that we had a lot of bad weather and it's just not warmed up enough for anything to, to thaw out. Yeah. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to really brag on our people. Our, our folks were up and out until probably 3.30 yesterday morning, uh, preparing the roadways, doing the plowing, and the, and the pushing, clearing off of the roads as best they can. Many of them slept in our maintenance barn, so at daylight they could hmm. get up and get back on the equipment and get back out there and start back again doing that and and now that's kind of the case all over the state where we've got our our men and women out uh doing a lot of things you know and i it reminds me when i've heard governor barber talk about katrina and after katrina came through and the national guard and and all of the first responders were on their way to the coast you know he he pointed out that it was mdot maintenance crews that were leading the way clearing Hmm. out uh 49 highway so all the first responders could get down and this is kind of our moment to shine and i'm really proud of our folks for the great work they've done and being out in pretty bad weather and in dangerous situations trying to make things as best they they can yeah no doubt i also wanted to just point out uh brad that i i have seen uh lots of communication on social media from you personally from MDOT as well uh, really going out of your way on a regular basis to inform the motoring public uh, in Mississippi of road conditions and of course uh, a- activities and mobilization by the department there just to keep things rolling uh, I do appreciate that it's very valuable well uh, thank you for saying that I mean to, to make good decisions you got to have good information right you know, and I, I would encourage everybody that hasn't to download the MDOT traffic app uh, or to look at mdottraffic.com. You can always stay up to speed. And we try to keep that updated, like you mentioned, with the latest uh, as possible. Uh, our, our state maintenance department, you know, we have our emergency operations uh, center set up, <clears throat> a crisis call center where we're also trying to help maintain all the calls we're getting in and information from the public around the state that would point out some things that maybe we've missed. 
uh, because of uh, our crews aren't uh, quite the size that we would need them to be or would like for them to be uh, to, to be everywhere. But uh, our folks are doing a good job of staying in front of it. And uh, But right now is no time to be out joyriding because I, I don't think we're expected to get above freezing until sometime tomorrow morning. Yeah, that is the forecast indeed. So give us kind of a, a, a picture of what the state's roads are like, I guess, from the north all the way through the central and the, and the south. Uh, obviously, I would expect it's worse in the north and maybe improves as we head south. What, where, where's kind of the cutoff point there? Well, like I said, uh, the last report I've got, we've got a minimum of 76 counties that uh, has experienced this. Okay. I mean, there's, there's segments of uh, interstate on the coast where we've got bridges like on 110. Yep. I believe it was northbound lanes that has been closed uh, for a while anyway uh, due to the ice that was forming there, section of, of I-10 as well. So uh, it, it's kind of all over the state. If you get over into the Delta and a, a lot of the areas west of 55, uh, you, you've got some of the same situation here in, in central Mississippi. Okay. Uh, you know, if you're traveling on the interstates and all, you you can, and you're in a good vehicle, you know, you might be able to make it safely. But as soon as you get off of that main thoroughfare, you know, the the roadways are are, are slick. You know, and uh, yeah. and also, I I think everyone should use extreme caution. But no, you're right. I mean, this obviously came into the state on the northern part of Mississippi at the beginning. So areas across north Mississippi were impacted first uh, and are are still dealing with that. But, I mean, it didn't take long for the rest of the state to be impacted to the point that people should use extreme caution if they have to get out. Yeah, and just wanted to pass on. A friend just sent me uh, a a text and a photo, a couple of jackknives on I-20 West at the ramp to Highway 49 there, of course, a busy traveled area. And these are these are big 18-wheelers in general, Brad. These, these folks are more adept at dealing with hazardous driving conditions than the average driver. When it causes them problems, you know us, us average drivers are in trouble. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, a lot of times you can look at a roadway and think you see the pavement, but, it's, I mean, that's the nature of, of different types of ice that are out there. So, I mean... Uh, looks can be deceiving, and I think we have a lot of drivers that, that when they look out, they think, "Well, you know, I can make it through that." Until they get on it, you know, I think you have. We've experienced a lot of that there at the uh, on ramp off of 55, but on to Lakeland Drive there at St. Dominic's. There's been a lot of vehicles that were having some trouble with traction there, and, and other spots just here in Central Mississippi. So it, it, this has not mm-hmm. been an issue that's been contained in North Mississippi at all. I mean, you get down to Southwest Mississippi. Uh, the Mississippi River Bridge at Natchez, you know, was was icing over, and our folks were doing all they could to keep, you know, a lane open to where essential personnel and traffic could get through. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's not meant for everybody to be out just looking at the sites right now. Brad, what kind of assets does MDOT have to deal with these conditions to to uh, to kind of correct the conditions on the road so they're travelable? Well, our best asset, as I mentioned, is our people. We've got a lot of trained and dedicated people that do this year in and year out. I remember back in uh, the, the ice storm of 21, I think it was February of 21, we had some folks that, that were uh, iced in at their homes that uh, decided, well, you know, we, we've got to go to work, we've got to get out and clear the roads, and they walked yeah. to the closest maintenance barn to get on the equipment. So, I mean, our best assets are people and the, and the work and experience that they bring, but we've got equipment you know, around the state that are able to keep the roadways plowed and that can put out the materials necessary to try to, to help gain traction and pre-treat the, 
bridges as best they can. Okay. Try to allow for traction and remove as much ice as possible. But in, in weather like this, to where you, you're not getting above freezing, everything just has a tendency to just continue freezing back over. So it's kind of a constant that, that we have to stay up with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we'll let you go, but we certainly do appreciate uh, your your diligence and your your attention to this, and especially the fine people that work for the Mississippi Department of Transportation and, and sharing that story about them spending the night so they can be ready to mobilize and, and go to work to clear the roads. Man, we really appreciate that. That's great, Brad. They're, they're, they're fine folks, and I can tell you they're not getting rich doing it. No. Either. So we Absolutely. appreciate it. Appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Gerard. Take care. You Bye. bet. Well, so, golly, what did he say, Lance? 76 of the 82 counties affected, yeah, right? almost yeah. all of them. I, yeah. I can't admit, with a few on the coast, maybe? Yeah. And uh, another couple? I mean, that's <laughs> – you're covering the state there. It looks like a big white blanket. Including south of us. Yeah, south. I mean, Loosedale. When was yeah. the last time they had snow? Yeah, I saw winter uh, winter storm warning, I think, on a map this morning, came across on the television, Walthall County. Mm. You know, just not something you would expect. So yeah. – well, um, well, you get to enjoy it. I mean, you know, the dogs yeah. get to do this one time in a decade, maybe. Yeah. I know my little bird dog is having a big time today, and <laughs> he's brand new. He's about five or six months old. Oh, and, cool. So he's having a big time. So, yeah, you get to enjoy it, and then it goes away, and we kind of get back to normal. It'll be 50s again and yeah. thunderstorms, you know. Well, a couple of friends just sent me some photos here from the square in Oxford. And uh, gosh, it truly is a winter wonderland. They it got is. they got a, quite the dusting of snow. They did in the M dot cameras. I've been looking at all the little towns yeah. all over Mississippi this morning, and it, it's like a Norman Rockwell picture. <laughs> there are just so many beautiful towns that uh, it was a, a perfect setting because draw there was no cars. It was just a little lamp lights. You know, everything's kind of glowy with the white. It was absolutely beautiful to see that. So people ought to go out there and look at that. At that resource, it's amazing, actually. It really is cool. Uh, also on the ceasefire text line, Representative Price Wallace says, Big thanks to our MDOT crews in Mississippi. is blessed to have such a great asset. And Brad White, the executive director of MDOT, agree there, Representative Wallace. Uh, man, we're blessed indeed in uh, that respect. Also, folks, uh, the governor announced this morning that uh, there will be an announcement here in about 30 minutes. He tweeted this morning, did the governor, and the press is picking this up, that an historic economic development announcement that will further strengthen Mississippi's economy and continue our state's momentum. We'll learn about that at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. This is official information from the governor. Coming right back. Stay with us. When you listen to Super Talk Mississippi, middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is a midday Super Talk Mississippi. Wow, on the ceasefire text line from the 662 Highway 8 in Bolivar County, a photo of a road. Uh, this is taken from the view inside a vehicle. That looks like a big accumulation of white stuff there, uh, Lance. 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I was looking at that one in the break, and man, it looks like you're out in Colorado or something. Or, I know, man. That's, that's something. That's some pretty snow too. Jason in Starkville says your caddy should be all-wheel drive. You know, you're I'm going to figure this out. I'm too. embarrassed to say I think it might be, <laughs> but my other one I know wasn't. My the last one I had. Now I thought you was, had a truck. Well, it's an Escalade. Escalade, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had a 19 model. It did not have all-wheel drive. This is a. This is a 23, and I'm honestly not sure. I'm embarrassed to say, but that's all right. Well, you remember uh, the movie Used Cars was uh, Kirk Russell? Yeah. yeah. Man, I don't drive nothing but a caddy. That's, <laughs> that's you. Right. <laughs> one of my favorite movies. Oh, man. Some rascals in that one. <laughs> Jerry in Pontotoc says, I'm in the frozen tundra of Pontotoc. I know, man. That, that area, just watching the radar as that, that storm winter storm moved across, it was blue, which indicates snow, of course, for a very extended period of time. Well, living in Be Oxford safe up there, Jerry. 21 years in Oxford, I got to see my fair share of dustings in uh, the hill country up there. That is not where you want to be driving around in ice. Yeah. Snow, it's okay, but the ice stuff, it is hilly as all get out. And most of the roads up there are built on top of the ridge everywhere you go. So, yeah, you got to be really careful up there. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of careful, it uh, it got quite cold up there in Iowa yesterday. <laughs> I think wind chills minus 25 or something. The turnout was very light, as was to be expected. Former President Donald Trump uh, prevailed. And yesterday I said that I thought it would really be interesting to see if he earned more than 50% of the vote, where that would kind of land. And and that was important because it just means, okay, well, half the people voted for somebody else. Now, he still lapped the field, right? Um, he comes in at, uh, I believe, 51% final numbers, as I recall. And uh, Governor Ron DeSantis earned second place at 21% of the vote. What do you think would be, if if the American people knew Donald Trump would be eligible to run, truly, and not have the law and all of the proceedings to deal with, do you think that that 50% would have been closer to 60 or 70? Or do you think that that's cooked in already? It's a good question. I, I actually think, as crazy as this sounds, that all of his legal issues, I think, helped him. I think there are a lot of people that just feel like that he's being treated unfairly, that that uh, a lot of this is just a witch hunt. It's, it's, it's political witch hunt. And I, I think they fear that in this country. I do. I fear that, that we start to weaponize and politicize government agencies and government assets uh, just to try to avoid someone running for office or or just to kind of beat them down politically, yeah, that that's that uh, should cause everybody deep concern. Former President Donald Trump at 51.01% officially. This is with 99% of the votes in. Governor Ron DeSantis, 21.23%. And then in third, Governor-slash-Ambassador Nikki Haley, 192 Vivek Ramaswamy at 7.66. He, of course, is pulled out of the race. Governor DeSantis seemed giddy, honestly, at coming in second place and only being beat by 30 points. Basically said his ticket was punched to keep going. 
The okay. gravy train continues. <laughs> yeah. Um, President Trump carried, of the 99 counties, he carried 98. Johnson County was won by uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley. 30, get this, 35.52 to 35.49%. But wait, one vote. Exactly one vote did Ambassador Haley uh, carry the county. President Trump, 1,270 votes in that county. Nikki Haley, 1,271. Astonishing. Astonishing. By the way, in these caucuses, it's all paper ballots. It's the way it works. So the former president carries 98 of 99 counties. Only one he did not carry. The left is uh, absolutely dejected. The left media, unbelievable some of the stuff they were saying last night. The, The contempt, just the hate they have for this man is palpable. It is insane. It's crazy. They're so fixated on a person. And the doom and gloom and the and the dire predictions are just, they're silly, honestly. They're sickening and they're silly, but some of the stuff, Rachel Maddow over there at MSNBC, unbelievable some of the stuff she was saying. She, by the way, is saying that he's going to win, talking about former President Trump, He's going to win the nomination, then he's going to be convicted. That's what she said on the air last night. Just incredible. It was funny. You know, I love the comment that uh, that Trump made. He uh, was, you know, very conciliatory. Got to come together. And I felt, you know, he was very presidential. But it, it was also funny to hear the, you know, I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a good time together. <laughs> he did say and, that. And he's got that Lane Kiffin ability, <laughs> where if it's your team, you're for it, and. You know he's good at prodding and using Twitter, and uh, those that that are the target of his uh, his keyboarding, they don't like him much. No, I, honestly, I I was appreciative of his remarks. He was uh, he was energetic and he was jovial. He was happy. Like I said, he was conciliatory. It was it was a gracious tone. Uh, I think um, he's got to be pretty pleased that he won by such a healthy margin. No doubt about it. Now. Uh, whom I call, uh, Lance, so you'll know, Joy Reed. Morning, oh, yeah. Joy. I call her the race lady. Man, she's terrible. She is uh, eaten up with race. Mm-hmm. This is what she said. She said that this is a hyper-evangelical white state. That's what she said. Iowa is about 61% white Christian. The country as a whole is approximately 41% white Christian. And in Iowa, we're talking about evangelical questions. So that's what she attributes to the blowout win. Well, you know that uh, you know she, you know, her parents are immigrants. Yeah, uh, and they both went to guess what school? University of Iowa. That's where they met. I didn't know that. It must have been a really bad place to go to school to be two uh, African American or or uh, dark complected Americans going to a state that hates them so much. She went to Harvard and makes a million and a half a year, by the way. So she's uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, she's so discriminated. Unbelievable. She, um, well, they're just always looking to hang it on this 
this identity politics stuff. Everything's about that. It's white Christians in Iowa that propelled Trump to victory. Like, nothing about policies, right? Nothing about what people are seeing with their own eyes. These open borders, which, by the way, in the poll, in polling, by the way, at the caucuses, the border and immigration has been elevated to the number one concern people have in the country. Now, economic matters are in second. Not by a lot, but here's what I think. They're kind of inextricably linked, if you think about it. If you think about the the consequences and the impact of just wide-open borders, two things. One is security is a concern. Obviously, we don't know who the heck's crossing over. And, um, you know, even the FBI is warning that we don't know everything about everybody coming across and what may be in store for us. But then you've got the economic aspect of this, where we're all essentially the taxpayers are paying for them to live in this country. And for you to sit in line behind them and to sit in line at uh, at the hospitals and gas stations and fast food and on the roads and educate. I mean, it's one thing after another. You can't hide from the problem by going, it doesn't affect this area. In New York, um, kicking the students out of a high school last week so that they could house immigrants in the high school. I mean, it's insane. We're, we're putting non-Americans ahead of Americans. And, and Trump's America First message, I think, is very powerful. People see it. They want it. I, I really believe that what's driving the success here and, and the lopsided polls in favor of the former president is that people think about what their lives were like while he was president, and they trust him to restore the country to that state. They, re, they, they trust him. It's not, I think, that they don't see that, let's say, that Nikki Haley... Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, they, for the most part, share the same policy positions and ideals. I mean, there's some some nuanced differences, but it's it's the can this person get it done and the risk of that versus a person who's gotten it done, and their confidence is in the latter. This guy's done it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well studio. So, former President Trump said that people want America to be great again. He's absolutely right about that. I still maintain that I think folks remember what it was like. We had a thriving economy. We didn't have this ridiculous inflation, which now, since... Joe Biden's been in office, uh, you know, depending on the basket of goods you calculate, you know, most accounts show it at 17 to 20 percent higher prices, some even higher than that, just as a blended uh, rate since he's been in office. This is where I think the left gets in trouble. I believe the situation would be different 
in that President Biden wouldn't be as um, as seen in such a negative light uh, as he is. I think he's got lots of issues. One of those, of course, is his age, his cognitive ability, which is on display on a regular basis and concerns a lot of people. you got these hot spots around the world that are seen as as uh, having occurred because of his weakness on the global stage. I think that's absolutely true. His, um, his open border policy is the reason we have so many illegal migrants crossing over the border and being dispersed into the country. From an economic perspective, he had to pass that $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan shortly after he was elected. Had he not pushed that, and I think that that was out of spite. I don't think that was anything, but I don't want the economy. I'm, I'm sort of pretending here to be the president, what his, what his thoughts were, what his inner circle was thinking. We don't want the economy to recover without us having some sort of fingerprint on it. We can't just take over for the former president, Donald Trump, leave everything alone. The economy is headed to full recovery, people going back to work, and um, an economy which is robust and thriving. We can't let that happen without us doing something to make it look like it was because of us. You know what I'm saying there? So they felt like we got to do something so Trump doesn't get the credit. So they passed this dumb $1.9 trillion American rescue plan. And I have described that as we're coming out of the COVID shutdowns. We're getting back to a full, full-scale economy. But we, we, uh, so we have a little fire going on, a comfortable fire. And then we douse it with gasoline in the form of this $1.9 trillion American rescue plan. That's exactly what happened. And that's what drove inflation. Now, I think we were set to have a little just because of the massive amount of COVID spending in 2020, but not to the degree we got when they passed that one bill. And so their political selfishness is now backfiring on them. It's exactly what's happening. Because they felt like, if we do this, we'll get credit for the economic recovery. People are working and, and making money and, uh, and all of that that gives them the, the feel-goodies, except that's not what happened. By doing so, they boosted inflation through the roof. And so, for the last couple of years, that's been top of most Americans' minds. Man, I go to the grocery store, I can't believe what I'm paying. I go to the gas station, I can't believe what I'm paying. Everything is more. I'm struggling to make ends meet. And it's because, to a large degree, of passing that one bill out of political spite, political selfishness. And now they're trying to sell the country on, look how great everything is. They're, they're saying the economy, it, the problem with voters wanting to oust Joe Biden and replace him with former President Donald Trump with respect to uh, their negative feelings about the economy, well, that's just because they just don't understand. It's the messaging. 
we got to make them understand, oh, no, you're really better off, and it's because of our policies. If you're explaining stuff like that, you're losing, as the saying goes. And that's exactly what's happening. They're searching for a way to communicate that, to persuade people. You really are better off. You just don't know it. So they're attributing his being behind in the polls to the former president, to the messaging. They, people just don't know. we got to let them know. They really are better off. <laughs> they just don't know it. No, people are clear-eyed about this. They can figure it out. They're smart. They can do the math. They understand their household budgets. It is you, Mr. President, and your Democrat surrogates who don't understand just how clear-eyed people are about this. It's your policies that put us in this situation economically, and people want somebody to come in and fix it because you failed. We're stepping aside for a break. We're coming back with Joel and Natasha from America's Roundtable Radio and International Leaders Summit next. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of middays. We are again live today on this frigid day across the state of Mississippi from the Element Well studio. We welcome to the program now Natasha Serdosh co-host of America's Roundtable radio program and co-founder of International Leaders Summit. Natasha, always good to see you. Thanks for calling in. Good morning, Gerard. It's great to be with you this morning. Well, let's start with politics. Uh, What did you think about uh, last night's caucuses in Iowa? Any surprises for you there, or did you expect uh, that sort of victory for former President Trump? I actually did expect this kind of victory for President, former President Trump. Uh, a landslide, fifty-one uh, percent uh, yesterday, with uh, uh, with uh, Governor uh, uh, from Florida becoming twenty-one percent and Nikki Haley nineteen percent. I think that's uh, that's actually uh, deserving. Based on uh, Trump's record of having a very strong economy, uh, having immigration in check, uh, having almost f- fixed the wall, mm-hmm. uh, basically uh, uh, built f- 500 miles of wall. If he well, if he continued uh, with his presidency, probably we wouldn't have this kind of immigration crisis and the invasion coming from the southern border as we have right now. Yeah. So this I expected it fully, and uh, everybody says this is going to be a short primary. Yeah. Now, something I know that you you know an awful lot about are are just uh, foreign policy, foreign affairs, hotspots around the world, etc. It it just seems like we have a lot more problems abroad uh, under the Biden presidency than we did under President Trump's. In fact, he said last night that uh, the situation in Ukraine likely would have never happened, that, that he was friends with Vladimir Putin and that he didn't think uh, the, the Russian president would have ordered the invasion of Ukraine. He didn't feel like Hamas would have committed the atrocious acts they did 
uh, on Israel. What are your thoughts? Right. I think uh, Trump uh, really practiced uh, the policy of peace through strength. And, uh, you know, allies as well as foes uh, took him seriously. So uh, no one really uh, uh, risked taking any uh, unusual, unpredicted steps in order to cause any kind of conflict or wars. And we can see that how it changed as soon as uh, Biden, uh, President, President Biden, Biden took administration. Uh, we saw that from starting with the chaotic uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, we showed that America cannot be taken seriously uh, because we left so much of military equipment. We, we, we actually had so many victims and military that was actually Targeted and it was a really very debacle in Afghanistan. Uh, right after we saw invasion, Russia's invasion on Ukraine, uh, we saw Turkey standing next to Russia, although NATO, Turkey is a NATO member, and then uh, Hamas's attack on Israel. So uh, Iran definitely, uh, Biden administration allowed Iran to uh, get to the 88% of enriched uranium uh, because Iran just doesn't respect any rules uh, based on uh, based on uh, nuclear, uh, you know, be, having constraints on developing nuclear weapon. Mm -hmm. So we've seen all these weaknesses, I mean, domestically in foreign policy, especially. So we can certainly say if President Biden was in power, we wouldn't see any wars that we're seeing right now. Not Russia's invasion of Ukraine, not Hamas's attack on Israel, not Iran having enriched uranium to, to get closer to developing nuclear weapon, and stronger China that is actually looking how to invade Taiwan, and Iran that continues to, obviously, run this nexus of Iran, uh, powers, bad powers for U.S. and the world, Iran, Russia, China, and North Korea, uh, complotting and exchanging weapons and working against the West and the United States. It seems like that this uh, the Biden administration should be more concerned about perhaps taking further action with uh, Iran uh, getting so close to the development of nuclear weapons. I mean, I, I don't think they would hesitate to use them, Natasha, in, in the most dastardly, uh, damaging, destructive, harmful way against whom they view as their foes, and that includes the United States. It just doesn't seem like we're hearing a lot. And I know maybe some of this is top-secret, top classified discussions, but they don't seem to be giving it any attention. Right. I mean, we, we cannot trust Iran because Iran is funding Hamas uh, in, in, uh, in Gaza, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and Houthis in Yemen. And Iran is also uh, attacking our military installations in Iraq and Syria. So Iran doesn't have any, uh, you know, any, any blockages. Basically, they can, they, they think they can do whatever they want and they would not shy away from using nuclear weapons if they have them. Yeah. And that would be a, a tragic consequence for the Middle East and for America. And it's really uh, just, it's it, you know, it's self-destructive uh, to look at Biden and it also Obama's policies towards Iran, whereby they allow them to uh, to gain from uh, basically removing the economic uh, uh, sanctions, allowing them to make so much money out of uh, export of oil. 
and whereby they were making some $12 billion a year during sanctions in uh, during Trump's administration, and now they're making $12 billion a, a, a month. Mm. Or a week, sorry, a, yeah, week. a week. So basically, it's the, the yeah. This 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 these numbers are just tremendous. This money amount actually allows Iran to ha- to fund Hezbollah, Houthis, and 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 Hamas, and you know cause all this though these problems in the Middle East and recently with Houthis even attacking uh, commercial uh, ships and uh, basically venting out trade between the country it's so much more expensive for containers to tr- to tr- to go through through a very narrow uh, actually strip between uh, which goes along the Yemenis border so basically when you think about uh, uh Biden's administration it's just it's 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 bad on all domestic and foreign policy. Yeah. So we do need uh, people to understand that and to be uh, really careful when they vote in next uh, presidential elections. I think that's why the national polls, uh, virtually every one of them, show uh, former President Donald Trump in the lead, including in the key swing states, which, as you know, is where presidential elections are, are, are determined. And, and I think these are the concerns that, that that Americans have about the current administration, where we've got these failures on all fronts. Before you go, give us uh, the latest on the Israel-Palestine conflict. What What's going on there? Are we getting close to some sort of resolution? Right. Based on what Israelis are saying, uh, they are the intensity of operation is now subsiding. Uh, it's becoming more targeted. And as, as this is happening, there's a little, uh, you know, there's a divergence in, in the, in the next, next steps, basically. Uh, there is a, there is a group of people at the, at the unity, national unity government that wants uh, this war to be, uh, you know, to come to negotiations with Hamas in order to get the hostages back. There's still 130 hostages held captive in Gaza. And the other group that is saying that the the offensive needs to continue as a military pressure for hostages to be released. And but both sides agree that there's now intensity of operation is at the lower level. So we can expect now talks about what's the next in governance. Uh, obviously, the, the political decision must be made for military operations when military operations end to see who will govern Gaza, because there shouldn't be any vacuum left uh, once the military operations are, are end, end. And in this respect, actually, uh, there's a group that wants uh, Palestinian uh, authority, a kind of a reformed Palestinian authority to be part of the government, but with uh, international uh, players such as U.S. Uh, countries, European Union, and Arab countries to be in a governing position, helping govern uh, Gaza Strip and rehabilitate the region. So we'll see what's going to happen. It's it's very uh, it's very you know that's going to be happening as we speak. And uh, maybe Palestinian Authority wouldn't be the best partner in this whole, uh, knowing their track record. Uh, there should be probably a new. A new governing body that would be independent from Hamas and Palestinian Authority, but together with the international body to help rehabilitate uh, Gaza's territory. Yeah, and just a couple seconds left there, but uh, I think uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister of Israel, he, he still seems committed to total eradication of Hamas. I don't think he feels like Israel can, can exist in peace unless that is the case, and it sure, certainly seems that way. 
Natasha, always good yes. talking to you. Yes. Appreciate your, your perspective and your insight. And uh, I know we'll be talking to you some more, especially during this, uh, this active presidential election year. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gerard. Thank you. You bet. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Please stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow down this morning. Let's see, latest check, 232 points. The NASDAQ is up, and that's on the strength of some of the big tech stocks on the NASDAQ. The, uh, the 10-year, the bonds are trailing upward, trending upward today, and that's putting pressure on the Dow. But what's really dragging the Dow down is Boeing. Boeing is in bear territory today. you got to believe, Lance, that has a lot to do with their, their recent troubles with the 737. But... I heard a report yesterday. They've got a backlog of orders that is unprecedented. It's incredible. So I feel like this is just kind of a short-term play, and you know how that stuff works. you got investors that are perhaps trying to drive it down a bit so they can jump in. And yeah, got some sneaky guys out there. And, yep. You know, when you have a... Uh, an aerospace company, a jet company, something like Boeing, you have a huge company, makes great products. You have a recall. This reminds me of BP blowing out the Gulf. Yeah. It reminds me of yeah. the accounting scandal at AIG. Yep. It reminds you, you can go one after another. Those stocks drop, and then they become into an area where it, it, you can afford to buy them. <clears throat> and I'm not saying go buy it, but these yeah. are the type you want to look for. You look for a problem. You let them drive it down, wait for it to settle, and then, hey, look at the fundamentals of any company. If, if they're good, they're good. They ain't going anywhere. They ain't going nowhere. Boeing's not going anywhere. And, again, looking at their backlog, which is uh, very telling about uh, a company in that business. We're talking about large uh, dollar value transactions. And when you've got a lot of those, because you've got airplanes across the globe. That's their customers. And who's their competitor? Airbus. And it's really them and Airbus in that world. And they've got orders out the wazoo because so many airlines are looking to upgrade, modernize their fleets. And to a great extent, those investments in these new aircraft make good economic sense for them because they're just much more efficient to operate from a maintenance perspective, from a fuel consumption perspective, all the above. 
And so Boeing is a very innovative company. I mean, they're constantly improving on the, the quality, functionality, efficiency, weight, all the above. I mean, all, all kinds of science and innovation involved in, in making large commercial aircraft. So, But that's what's going on today. We were talking earlier about the, uh, the current president, Joe Biden, his own worst enemy, honestly. If you think about, uh, again, <laughs> I was just thinking about in 2020, the end of 2020, he wins the election. He's inaugurated as the, as the president. And, it, I mean, the ink wasn't dry, right, on signing off on, on that before he goes to the Oval Office. Uh, I guess I should say the teleprompters hadn't been removed from the steps of the Capitol of the inauguration. He hot-tailed it over to the Capitol, into the, uh, pardon me, the White House, into the Oval Office, and started issuing executive orders. But one of the first big legislative measures that was pushed through the Congress to his desk was this American Rescue Plan. I, it's, it, you know, it seemed like just yesterday, Lance, but there wasn't a, a, a lawmaker or an elected official in the state that we didn't talk to that we didn't discuss ARPA, the American Rescue Plan, because it was so much money, as you recall, uh, being allocated, appropriated to cities, to counties, to the state, others, billions, $1.9 trillion to be exact, every county, every city. And we'd ask them, what are you doing with your ARPA money? And look, they're putting it to good use. It's coming their way. They can't, that I know of, they can't reject it, can't refuse it. However, again, I, I believe it's tantamount to pouring gas on uh, a comfortable fire. It just turned into a roaring, out-of-control blaze. And that's what happened when they passed this $1.9 trillion bill. The economy was recovering nicely. People were going back to work. All we did is government said, hey, guys, stay home. Don't go to work because you'll spread COVID. And then finally they said, okay, it's, you can go back to work now. Well, the economy was going to naturally recover on its own accord. It was going to reach full capacity in a short period of time. However, however, the president at that time, Joe Biden, wouldn't be able to take credit for that. He wouldn't. And I don't think they could stand the fact that doing nothing was what you needed to do. they got to do something so they can attach themselves to it and run around and campaign and parade on it. Well, you know what? You just got... You just got doused with your own fire because it was that bill, I believe, the passing of that legislation, which really fanned the flames of inflation, which was moderate at the time. And even though they're running around the country trying to tell you, look, it's only 3.4%. Of course, they're talking about year over year. They're not talking about since you've been in office in, in January of 2021, which by all accounts puts it at 17 to 20%. And people know because of their own experience. I mean, you can throw inflation CPI data up on the screen all day long. Nobody cares. What they care about is, well, I remember paying this much for this good or service, and now it's this much. It's you, Joe Biden. Well, that's what happens. You get, you get blamed when things aren't going well. You get the credit when they are. What they were seeking was credit, and it backfired on them.
Well, and you got all the DEI, you know, your diversity, equity, inclusion, hundreds of billions of dollars allocated to fix a problem caused by COVID. Right off the bat. And then here you are, you're pouring money into equitable returns, equitable everything. You know, and I think that has part and parcel to the problem that you're discussing here, too. You're pouring money into, it's like hiring people because they have disabilities, such as you're dealing with air traffic control. That's what they've and, announced. I mean, so that does not seem like spending your money well when you're forcing a square peg into a round hole. Well, of those 32 executive orders signed day one by Joe Biden, uh, he made it clear that uh, DEI was to be, and climate change, was to be a central theme in every single policy issued, every rule and regulation made in the federal government. And that's exactly what we're dealing with. But I'm just saying, again, he's fallen on his sword, is exactly what's happening. Had he not passed that bill, we could have had the ARPA, could have had a different situation with respect to inflation. I still think we'd have some just because of the massive amount of money spent in the in the form of COVID relief funds in 2020. But not to the extent that we are witnessing in the in the wake of passing that one bill, all because of political selfishness. It's exactly what's happening here. So the, the point is, why is uh, President Trump doing so well? Because people long for that period when he was the president. That's what they remember. And they think he did it before. He can do it again. These other folks, uh, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, yeah, they seem like good candidates. And their policies are fairly closely aligned with the former presidents. But we don't know whether or not they can get it done. We know this guy can get it done. He did it before. And that's what the former president has going for him. I, I get it. So their, their confidence is much higher in his ability to return us to where we were. Now, something that caught my eye that he announced is that he is going to perform and going to order deportation of on a mass basis, on a mass scale, of illegals in the country. And yesterday, at the caucuses, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia, of course, is uh, very much in the Trump camp. She said that in a speech where she praised the former president, and she urged the voters at the caucus to, to re-elect him in 2024, and she said that we have, quote, we have to fight for a secure border. President Trump will do that, and he will start mass deportations on day one. And, of course, that got a roaring applause. Now, that's never happened that I'm aware of in this country. This would be unprecedented, whether or not a president can, in fact, fulfill that promise and, and mobilize the assets needed to go round up illegals in this country and physically deport them. That certainly would be, I believe, within the purview of the president. It would be legal because they're here illegally. They should have never been allowed to to just travel throughout the country as they are now. And then we're giving them all sorts of benefits, right? Cell phones and debit cards and health care and everything else. But this would be interesting to see. Day one, are we going to start rounding up people and deporting them? We're going to be watching that. Uh, don't forget that the former president said that migrants are poisoning the blood of our country. Of course, that statement got... Uh, it, it got appropriated, shall we say, by, by left uh, journalist 
to mean way more than what the intent of that comment was. They took that out of context, as they like to say, and ran with it, and it, it sort of got molded and, and comported the way they wanted it to be. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio, so just announced a little while ago uh, by Governor Tate Reeves. It's a $1.9 billion electric vehicle battery plant. It will be constructed and located in Marshall County. They are in North Mississippi. It is expected to create 2,000 jobs with an average salary of $66,000. That's the largest annual payroll commitment of any major project in the state of Mississippi. Huge win. The governor said, quote, this is a massive win for the state of Mississippi. It will further enshrine Mississippi as a national leader in the automotive industry. 500 acres in the Chickasaw Industrial Park at U.S. Highway 72 and Casey Road in Bahalia. That is the governor's announcement. This is a partnership, by the way, between Cummins EV, their electric vehicle division, Daimler Trucks and Buses, and PACAR. It's a joint venture to manufacture lithium iron phosphate batteries for commercial electric trucks. There you go. So originally this was uh, slated for announcement Thursday. It's my understanding, uh, Lance, just... uh, being somewhat involved in, in economic development, privileged to do so at the Madison County Economic Development Authority. Just want you guys to know that, and this is all I can really say about it, there's another one coming, and it's next week. And it's going to be massive. I'll just leave it at that. So it's good times here in the state of Mississippi from an economic investment perspective. I think that having policies in place that are conducive to business investment and expansion are paying off, paying dividends. And uh, I do believe the governor is is, uh, honed in on this issue, this need in the state of Mississippi. I do believe that he, he shares the view, certainly that I do, um, that the, the path to addressing all of our most pressing issues in the state of Mississippi is uh, best accommodated by economic development, growing our economy, creating jobs, investment, and uh, stimulating economic activity. That, that's, what, that's what improves the quality of life. We've talked before about our disappointing 51-plus percent labor participation rate. That means we've got almost half of those who can work on the sidelines. they got to get out and work. We're, we're creating an environment, again, that is attractive to business investment. I think we're well positioned 
for future projects along this scale. We need workers. That's the bottom line. And that, that's my question to you, Gerard, is you see the influx of all these people coming across the border. Now, well, we need we need workers. We, we can't get anybody to take these jobs. How? Yeah. I mean, you got $66,000 a year job, 2,000 jobs being created. Sounds like a pretty good job to me. Probably comes with health benefits. Yeah, you know they do. All the, sure. all the, you know, the trimmings yep. uh, that are going to keep employees happy, but yet we have half the population that doesn't want to take the job. Well, you know, what do you, workforce development. Mississippi's pouring money into workforce development. And have great programs for that. You don't have that. to look for it. It's there. Yep. We're all over it every day. Great programs, like you say. Uh, jobs are what creates the opportunity for us to get rid of this this income tax because then the employer, more jobs come in, right? You're not going to raise the taxes on employers. It's just they're paying more taxes. There's more jobs. Yeah. And then the income tax for the citizen, eventually we can pull that away. And that's basically how this is working, and, and the governor's doing a great job of recruiting business. And we saw those numbers in the budget. So what, what's the? how do you solve the issue with half your population doesn't want to work? I, I so desperately just would like to talk to folks that are on the sidelines and just understand, um, I, you know, I, it, I don't think it's it makes sense, it's prudent to attack them, but to just understand, how come you're not working? There are jobs available. They're plentiful. They pay well. My concern is that there's no ambition or aspiration, and, and people may get mad at me saying this, but explain it then. You know, it's like, well, because people say, well, it's because they know they can, just, they can just collect the various government benefits. Well, yeah, that's an existence, but it's, it ain't a good one. it's not quite the same as when you're out gainfully employed producing for society and bringing home an average of 66K a year. And plus, as you say, you've got to add another 20, 25% these days for, as you described it, the trimmings, the benefits. You know how expensive that is. Oh, man, and that ain't cheap. So, uh, and, but think about this as well. When, when those folks are working and they're enrolled in, in, say, private health insurance, that's good for the health care providers. That, that makes them stronger. That allows them to invest and retain their people and provide uh, uh, more services and higher quality services. We all benefit from that, honestly. So we need people working. The jobs are out there, folks. And I know our audience is working. That's different. But we got to get to the people who aren't, the right. 50% who aren't, and find out why not. Yeah, well, I had a conversation about a week and a half ago. I went down to Fondren. Usually I'll go down on a Friday go have a beer after work, get a, get some dumplings or something. And this gentleman walked up to me and, and started talking. And we visited, and he was fairly emotional. His name is Daryl, African-American, spent 20 years in parchment. And I just picked his brain a little bit. You know, and he said, Lance, the problem isn't that I don't want to work. I want to work. I want, I'm good at construction. He had sheetrock mud all over and paint and everything. I mean, a, a very you know, nice guy. Obviously, he had his problems with the law, and he spent his time in parchment. But he says, my problem is transportation. I can't. You know, I can't get from A to B because once you get out of parchment, you know, all these, uh, the, 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 the safety net goes away. And so that was like, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, I mean, you can't give transportation to everybody. And, but at the end of the day, you do seem to have people out there that do want to work. And, and some of these folks are going to be working in unskilled labor, such as construction and those things. Well, if we're importing the construction laborers here, how are we ever going to hire our own citizens to do the work that they're qualified to do? We're not. And, and then the problem is, of course, they're willing to work for less money mm -hmm. yeah. as well. So 
Uh, we bring in the illegals who work for less money, and then we pay through through government benefits the American citizens who are on the sidelines not working. I mean, it makes no sense. So, and I think um, you got a number that do want to work. I do too. But uh, so what I'd like to see happen is that we we start digging into those details and investigating those situations. How come? How come you're not? And then. You know, get creative, get innovative about solving that problem, such as the transportation problem. I agree, we can't, government can't go provide transportation to everybody, but maybe there are ways to solve that problem that the individuals just don't know about. You know, there are opportunities for them to, to find some sort of source of transportation. So, but I think my view is just sitting in the Capitol and dreaming up workforce development programs, all of which are good. I'm not saying they're bad. But that's not getting people off sidelines the way it should be. we got to figure out why can't we get them off the sidelines and into the workforce. Ben from Madison says, exciting to hear there's another massive project announcing next week. The state is really booming. This is what tends to happen when you stack up a decade of conservative policies. And I know, Ben, a, a lot of folks will say that uh, tax policy is critical to that. And I'm not saying it isn't. But And, and you know, I've, I have been an advocate for elimination full elimination of the income tax uh, since that, that discussion started taking hold. Still want to get that done. Believe that's the right thing to do. Believe it would serve our economy best. But there, there are lots of, of factors and obstacles to that. I realize that, and I'm, I'm certainly conscious of that. But then you'd be surprised. A lot of it just has to do with being responsive. And, and, I, and I believe you're right. I consider that being conservative, that we, we are not we are not burdened with a bunch of crazy red tape. We don't have situations where you got to get permission from 1,400 different agencies before you can put a shovel in the ground. I'm exaggerating, I know, but you know what I'm saying here. And what we've heard from the, these prospects is Mississippi's a pretty easy place to do business with, that the, that the speed to market from, from concept to production is, is critical when they make these decisions. Big time critical. How quick can we get this done? And the less red tape you have, and the fewer obstacles and government hurdles in the way of, of uh, bringing these ideas to fruition, the, the better positioned is a state, a community, to, uh, to land these projects. And I do think that's what's going on in Mississippi. I really do, and I, I'm proud of that. We got work to do, sure, but you take Secretary of State uh, Michael Watson. I'll call him out here right off the bat. He created this tackle the tape program. He gets it. He understands. We got to make it easy for businesses to set up shop and expand and invest in Mississippi. I know the governor gets it. I've talked to him about it. Our state leaders in general, they're on board with this. They understand that. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. He's a pro-business person. You may not agree with him on some of his other policies, but he understands the value of that. And I think we've created an environment that is conducive to business investment. And I really do believe this in my heart. I'm going to go ahead and say this. These two projects, especially the one next week, are going to be springboards and catalysts for more. You ain't seen nothing yet, and I'm proud of our state in this respect. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. What that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. Photos coming in here, Lance. Here's one on the C Spire text line. By the way, that's 601-879-4395. Paris, Mississippi this morning in Lafayette County. That's a bunch of snow there. Paris is beautiful, too. Wow. Great place. Just south of town. Little country store out there. I had a client out there. I loved going. And there's a great writer. Ace Atkins lives out that way. Okay, yeah. Uh, Herschel and Laurel sent a photo he says, Laurel, Mississippi. Nah, just kidding. It's a picture from my brother-in-law's yard in Clare, Michigan. Nine degrees there this morning with a forecast high of 15. He said if it's, it's 15 today, he's going to sunbathe. That is a heaping pile of snow there. Appreciate that, Herschel. David in Pascagoula. Gerard had just got to 32 degrees here. That was uh, about an hour or so ago. But it feels like 17. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, wow. You know where Tiplersville is? I do not. All right. Well, we uh, we had us a, 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 a hello to our Tiplersville connection this morning. That is west of Corinth. Okay. And, uh, they had quite a bit of snow this morning too, and so yeah, it's. Uh, I've been going through my map. I love it when you get a a place that you don't know exactly where it is. Yeah. And we just had one of those, I think. Which one was that? Uh, Ripley, Jim from Ripley. It's, he's from Clarysville. I'm going to have to look. It's got to be close to Ripley. But, man, look at the snow in there. Man. I see that. Wow. That is incredible. Appreciate that, Jim. That's beautiful, actually. Um, Star branded in Highway 49. There's a vehicle that looks like it's jackknife in the in the middle and, and kind of an impression there between the uh, the four lanes. Not good. Democrats saw last night just how strong support for Trump is. You can expect some more crazy shenanigans. They are absolutely determined to keep him from being president. They fear it. I mean, and they fear it for just ridiculous, unreasonable uh, predictions and and just fear-mongering that's just off the chart. I mean, it's just the hyperbole is just crazy. Uh, I think it was Jake Tapper uh, over at CNN. <laughs> he cut away, did CNN. They cut away from the former president speaking, declaring victory when the caucuses had been called, which they were called within, what, about 10 minutes or so, by Fox News at least. And Jake Tapper at CNN says, we're cutting away from Trump's speech Right now, under my voice, you can hear him repeating anti-immigrant rhetoric. What is anti-immigrant rhetoric? The fact that you want, don't want people to cross over into this border and, dis, and disperse and, and set up their lives in this country illegally? Yeah, that's not immigration. <laughs> I, I've never heard the former president say that he opposes legal immigration. I've never heard a Republican say that, honestly. I certainly don't. I welcome it. All those who followed the the rules, completed the process, welcome. Now, the expectation is you assimilate into the country, you support the country. I'd like to see and think you become patriotic, although, you know, under our First Amendment, under the protections afforded by our laws, 
you can speak negatively of the country. You're free to do that. I don't know that there's another country on the planet that allows that without some sort of brutal punishment in some cases. You can. Don't want to see that. If you're going to come here, you need to assimilate and support. Be patriotic. Identify with American ideals. But yeah, they like CeCe says here, there's fear. There's no doubt. There's, there is a strong fear among the Democrats in this country that former President Trump is well on his way. And the gravy train will cease. Yeah, I hope so. I think, you know, if you ever wonder why something happens in my mind, working in finance as long as I did, always follow the money. The Democrats, in my mind, are scared to death of Trump because, obviously, uh, the gravy train, and probably for a lot of Republicans, is going to come to an end. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's probably the the most attractive aspect, I think, of of uh, Mr. Trump to a lot of voters is that he, he exposed all that corruption, exposed all that cronyism, what he called the deep state, the swamp, etc. He's really the first high-level political figure in the country to call it out. We kind of all knew it, felt like it, but couldn't put our finger on it, and he started exposing it. And I applaud him for that. I do. There's a lot more work to be done. You know, Ron DeSantis said he didn't quite drain the swamp the way he committed to. And and while I think there's some truth to that, here's what you got to keep in mind. It didn't grow. It didn't intensify. It didn't escalate. Well, as soon as Joe Biden got elected, that's exactly what happened. It expanded. It it grew. It multiplied. It escalated. It uh, It extended... It's, uh, it's creepy tentacles into every aspect of life. On the ceasefire text line, Tyler from Knox Peter says, I hope the Trump campaign at the very least pays you for all your efforts on their behalf. I suppose you might be volunteering. And if that's the case, I applaud you for tis- participating in the democratic system. Well, I appreciate that there, Tyler. I just call it as I see it. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. Coming right back with Senator Jeremy England. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three, the afternoon portion of Middays is live with you from the Element Wealth Studio. We welcome to Middays now Mississippi Senator Jeremy England. He represents a District 51, now serving as the chair of the Elections Committee and vice chair of Ports and Marine Resources Committee. uh, Senator England, good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Gerard. Good to see you. Thanks for having me today. You bet. So, are you guys going to plan to meet today? What's happening there? What's the schedule look like? Yes, we're planning on gaveling in at 2 o'clock today, and it looks like most of us are going to make it. Um, everybody's just, just driving in, is doing so 
uh, slowly and carefully, but we'll be we'll be in session today at two o'clock. Okay. All right, gaveling in at the 2 o'clock. So, congratulations on uh, your committee assignments. Uh, a little little Thank bit you. of musical chairs there, but overall fairly similar, I think, to what we had in the last term. What do you think about all that? Yeah, no, so I did, um, you know, I requested to stay on Judiciary A and Judiciary B. I like both of those committees. And, yeah. And being involved with those, um, you know, I served on Ports and Marine Resources last time, and I've been bumped up to vice chairman with my my desk mate and friend, Senator Mike Thompson. He'll be acting as chairman of that. Uh, elections is a new committee for me, but I'm looking forward to serving as chairman. That's going to be a very busy uh, committee this year in particular uh, with a lot of issues coming up. Uh, and I'm on tourism this year, which I'm, I'm really excited to serve with Senator Chazanol. Uh, she's the chairwoman of, of that committee. Uh, which is new for me, but but being from the Gulf Coast, I can just tell you tourism is so important for our state, and I just look forward to helping on that as well. Okay, well, good. So we and we got a couple of uh, new committees. I can't recall the exact name of them right off the top of my head, but we got a couple of new committees, right? That's right. Yeah, uh, it, it, government government In- offices or government uh, affairs, something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, Senator Chris Johnson serving as, as chairman of that. That's going to be a very exciting committee to watch because I think the idea is to to find out where we may have agencies and departments that either are, are bloated or not doing uh, what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and and we're going to look into that. And okay. That'll be a very good committee to watch. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, that's what my understanding is as well. Investigate state offices, I think, is, the, is what I'm looking at is the exact committee name as it is styled, is my understanding. Is okay. that right? Because that shows Albert Butler as the chairperson. So maybe we're talking about something different here. Government, yeah, no, it'd be government structure, government structure. That's government what structure, called. and that that's you're it, right. Gerard. That yeah, is Senator Chris Johnson. Mm-hmm. Not a not a huge committee. Um, uh, Senator mm-hmm. Jennifer Branning serving as the vice chairperson. Uh, David Blunt, a Democrat from Jackson. Tyler McCon, Senator McCon, Senator Norwood, David Parker, and of course from up there in Appalachia, Senator Daniel Sparks also on that uh, committee. So. Uh, right. Not a whole lot going on so far. You guys have been meeting and uh, and then adjourning pretty rapidly after that. But now that we have uh, committees in place, uh, looks like that uh, you're off to the races, right? Yeah, that's right. I, matter of fact, I haven't dropped a bill yet. We, uh, you know, the first two weeks you get here, everybody gets sworn in. Uh, you have your statewide officers. Uh, officers are sworn in. Uh, we had the governor's inaugural. Uh, ceremony last week, which was great. I got to sit behind him and escort his family down to the stage on that. That was a, a real honor for me. Yeah. Uh, and now, uh, kicking off this week, other than the frigid temperatures, we, we're, we're off and running. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, and, and a lot of stuff, of course, to take up, uh, as you well know. Of course, let's, uh, let's just touch on this big announcement today by the governor, huge economic uh, development project in Marshall County, nearly $2 billion dollars. A, uh, a consortium between some major automobile uh, manufacturing companies that are going to build batteries in in Marshall County. And, of course, the governor, I believe, plans to call a special session so that you guys can uh, see uh, what uh, sort of terms the state might be offering in terms of, of various incentives. And, uh, of course, Mississippi Development Authority heavily involved in that process. It's pretty good news for the state of Mississippi. 
Oh, it's excellent news for Mississippi. And, and look, I think this is, well, and truthfully, this is the second big economic development um, announcement from the governor's office and from MDA. Um, and I think there's another one coming, if I'm That's not right. mistaken. There and and, and that, look, that'll be three. And, and, and I look for many more. We're, we're um, you know, we're, we're on the right path here in Mississippi uh, with with regard to economic development. We've got great sites. Uh, we've been working on site development. We've been working on uh, workforce development with, with getting career coaches in schools and working with our community colleges and making sure that we've got a well-trained workforce. Uh, so so the, the word is getting out that Mississippi is a place to be for these businesses, and I'm glad to see them coming in. Yeah, no doubt about it. So you guys will, will meet and discuss uh, the uh, the incentives here that are being offered. I think the governor also got asked about, okay, what happens if this company pulls out, shuts down? There are some uh, some protections in the provisions of the deal is, is essentially, and I'm paraphrasing a bit what the governor communicated to the press, that there, uh, there are some guardrails to avoid uh, any kind of losses or the state would have to absorb any kind of front-end expenses. Of course, the big deal there is, you know, Senators, when you give all those on the front-end and then, you know, the uh, the commitments don't pan out, that's when you have trouble. If, if it's done on a more methodical sort of pay-as-you-go basis, you're a lot more protected. That's right, and, and and there always should be clawbacks like that with these with these programs, and we need to make sure that we're focusing less on promise uh, promises and more on performance, and yeah. I think that's what the governor's office is doing. I think that's what MDA is doing, and it's it's really something. Lieutenant Governor uh, and the and the House on the other side, uh, the Speaker has also been uh, focused on. You know, we want to make sure that these these groups that come in that they're they're doing what they tell us they're going to do, yeah. and that these jobs are getting created. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's do a quick rundown of some of the major issues. We'll we'll start with the ballot initiative process. Uh, your thoughts on that? You know, that's something that we haven't had in Mississippi uh, for, what, going on three years now, and a lot of lot of people certainly would like to see that restored. What do you think? Gerard, I think we'll see it restored. I think um, it, won't, it certainly won't look like it did when we had it initially. Um, you know, the talk is that we don't want these initiatives uh, or, or these new um, issues going straight into the Constitution. We want them to be, you, you know, go, go into our code, go into statutes. Uh, and we need to make sure, I know that there's been a lot of discussion as the number of how many how many signatures you need on a petition. And I'm of the mindset that we need to make that a difficult process, not an unattainable process, of course, but it needs to be difficult. And, and I look back, you know, historically, when this was put into the code, when this was allowed, this right was allowed to the people of Mississippi, you didn't have, uh, you know, the media that we have today. You don't have, you didn't have social media. You didn't have uh, ability to email people. It was a lot harder to get in touch with folks. So that number was a difficult number, and we need to take that into account when we set the new number uh, for how we deal with things today. Uh, but I do think we'll get there. I think there's going to be a lot of negotiations on that, and and it's a right of the people to to petition. Uh, and, and you know, if the legislature's not doing something, that they can step in and and kind of take it, take the reins and, and run with it. Okay, gotcha. A lot of uh, discussion uh, I've seen, Senator, this this session, this term, perhaps more than any in the past, around uh, school choice and education freedom. What, what do you think we may see there? I think we'll see some movement on that for sure. Uh, you know, we've got other states doing it. Anytime you have other states uh, jumping into something like this, you know, we've seen Arkansas, Arizona, of course, Florida has had uh, universal school choice for a long time. And I think we'll see Mississippi moving towards that. And I like that idea. I think the parents ought to have more decisions when it comes to education of their children. I hate this idea that you have 
um, kids that are that, that live in a certain area might not have schools that meet their capabilities uh, or, or their disabilities uh, for that matter and, and this will give parents uh, more freedom to move their student around and, and their child around to where they can be successful and that look that's a good thing that's a that's something we need to be looking at doing here in Mississippi a couple of minutes left uh, I've got to of course turn your attention to PERS not sure if you saw the the article that I that I drafted there I know it's it's been distributed a fair amount just trying to kind of lay out the issue and what the possible solutions are. What do you think? We may see some movement on that, huh? Yeah, we'll see some movement on it, Gerard. And look, I think we're going to see the state uh, put in some additional funding, which is going to have to happen. And I hate that, but we've got, you know, we've made promises to these retired people uh, that rely on PERS. You know, that's their only form of income a lot of times when they've retired from a, from a government agency. And so we've got to make sure we're, we're sustaining that. But we, we have to look long term um, at, a, at a better way to do this. And I think what we'll see, we'll see a new tier created. Um, and I think we'll see at some point a stopgap put in with the way we've, we've been doing things and maybe do it differently um, going forward. But it's, it, look, it's a tough decision. It, it gets me the m- most uh, angry emails of any other topic that we have with people saying, don't mess with my, my 13th check, yeah. don't, don't cut perps. Yeah. And, and of course, not only the obligation to those uh, presently receiving benefits, but those that are paying into the system that expect those benefits to be there for them when they get to that point as well. So um, a big problem. Uh, I'm glad to see you guys uh, take it up, and and I think you're going to likely invest a lot of uh, a lot of time studying that issues and and working with uh, Purse to come up with some solutions some solutions there. But always good to see you. Uh, appreciate you coming on, and you guys be safe out there getting to the Capitol now. We'll talk to you soon, Jeremy. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you very much, Gerard. Appreciate it. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. We're back in the Element Well studio. Don't forget, we've got a presidential primary page now created. It's supertalk.fm slash elections. You can keep up with everything happening in the presidential primaries by going to that site, supertalk.fm slash elections. You'll get a full breakdown of state-by-state results, delegate counts, and more. Once again, supertalk.fm slash elections. We just had the first in the nation Iowa caucuses. Those are in the books now. Former President Donald Trump winning in a landslide, essentially lapping his second-place contender, Governor Ron DeSantis, who was giddy. I mean, he really was. He, he was. He looked so different. He looked so relaxed. Yeah, to me. and and was just having fun. Yeah, it wasn't a cardboard. Right, seen a bit scripted smile. Yeah. And all I that thought he stuff. looked like he was having fun. He actually. he was. He says our our ticket's been punched, and he said they threw everything in the kitchen sink at us. He said that, but we prevailed. We came in second, and on to New Hampshire, uh, which is scheduled to occur the New Hampshire uh, primary next Tuesday. And now that's closer. That is. Uh, the, the polling shows that it's uh, uh, former President Donald Trump out front, but not by quite the margin over 
uh, Governor Nikki Haley, Ambassador Nikki Haley. And Haley would be in the second slot in that primary. That's right. right. By about, what, 10 points, yeah, 9 points, I think, something like that. Yeah. But it's definitely a substantial flip-flop for yeah. her than Iowa. It is. Now, of course, the governor, interestingly enough, for what this is worth, the governor of Iowa, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, endorsed Governor Ron DeSantis. Now, she's come out and said, by the way, just to avoid any confusion, if former President Donald Trump's the nominee, of course I'm going to support him. But she did endorse she did endorse Ron DeSantis over Donald Trump. And, of course, that drew the ire of the former president her way, as you would expect. Now, in New Hampshire, it's Governor Sununu, Chris Sununu, who has endorsed Nikki Haley. And so you wonder if maybe that's why she is uh, she's besting Governor Ron DeSantis in that state, the way Governor Ron DeSantis uh, ended up capturing more votes and delegates than Nikki Haley in Iowa. Is that a function of the respective president's endorsements? Don't know. They are very popular governors, each in their own right and their own states. They're popular. So now we had 99 counties in Iowa. I think, Lance, there are 12 or something like that in New Hampshire. I mean, it's and there's one that's really big that usually goes Democrat. Maybe it's not even 12. It's, it's very few. And it's a small state from an area perspective. You may look it up and see, but it's a, it's a small number. Uh, of counties in the state of New Hampshire, the way that deal uh, forms out. We appreciate Senator Jeremy England uh, coming on the program and sharing his thoughts about the legislative session. You know, didn't really get to talk to him about tax reform in the limited time that we have. Uh, I, I do know that in talking to him in the past, he is a proponent of continuing to work towards full elimination of the income tax. He is as you could tell, someone who thinks we should expand school choice options in the state of Mississippi. And uh, he's keenly aware that PERS is broke and uh, needs some fixing. And I appreciate those who have have read the piece that uh, I put together, which was really just designed to frame the problem. I just said, this is the problem. It's kind of how we got here. These are your options. You don't have to be a genius to understand you got to have more money. I mean, unless you're willing to cut benefits, I mean, what I say typically is you got three choices. More coming in, less going out, combination of the two. Those are the choices. And what you heard him say is likely the state would just infuse dollars into the fund uh, to, to help uh, stabilize uh, the PERS program. That probably, in addition to, is kind of the way I see it unfolding, increasing the employer contribution rate. So it's a combination of that, plus, as you heard the senator saying, adding a new tier. All that, in fact, um, I cite in the article as the options. And again, it, it's not anything that I've got some sort of you know special insight into. People in the defined benefit program business, they know the same thing. The other option is you got to get more on your investments. Now, it's easier said than done when you're investing a $31 billion portfolio. And it really hasn't performed that poorly, honestly, relative to other similar defined benefit programs across the country and relative to the markets. Well, and they're greatly restricted. Very too. much restricted. Yeah, you can't take huge risks. You got to leave so much in a, you know, and extremely 
capital yeah. preservation style instruments. Uh, so yeah, I mean you can't just shoot for the moon yeah. out there. Now the good news is even those less risky securities are producing more income, such as government bonds, because interest rates are up. Yeah, I, I've traded bonds for a long time, and if you can, you know, if you find the stability there and the income, yeah. and it is predictable, and, and you know you're you're not paying premiums for the bonds that you're going to get less than or par back, and you're, you're de- eroding your interest right. in that. But I mean, you know, bonds can be extremely important to a portfolio, no especially doubt, especially if you're not looking to, like I said, hit a home, you know, grand slams. Singles and doubles work great. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you've got bonds. You've got, um, and then you've got equities. You you you've got uh, less risky equities, many of which uh, pay handsome dividends as a as a a source of income as well to fund benefits. So all that'll figure into it. One, no qu- doubt about one it. thing, I did have an update. It was ten counties in New Hampshire. Okay, ten. And yep. Hillsborough County is the most populous. Has about one third of the population. So that would be the large county you're referring to. Okay. And that is going to have uh, the cities of um, Manchester and Nashua, the state's two biggest cities. I think it's Nashua, maybe Nashua, uh, but that's uh, that's the big boy there. Yeah. Well, but ten counties. I mean, just think about the difference. So that was the point. I said twelve. I missed it by a couple, but There's I knew some it big would. counties in there. Though they are, they're big, but it's a small state. Yeah. So you you got to consider that. Uh, What's the population of New Hampshire? Is it a, is it over a million? Uh, about one point five, I would think. Okay. If one third of the population is four hundred twenty six thousand, yeah, yeah that's right. That, yeah. Okay. What yeah. Okay. So just just thinking about the contrast, you got eighty two here in Mississippi, ninety nine in Iowa, and uh, what'd you say, ten in the state of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Georgia is really chopped up. If you take a look at it, I want to say it's got like a hundred and thirty counties or something insane like that. And, you know, the only thing I've ever been able to conclude is because of maybe the way in which it was settled and the king was allocating land out and it just being old in that respect, you know, part of the uh, original colonization. On the ceasefire text line, David and McComb, we were talking about transportation uh, being a problem. You were mentioning someone, uh, anecdotally, you had a conversation with, says, I want to work. I don't have any transportation to get to the job site. says, the government pays daily for transportation to doctor appointments, shopping, libraries, etc. for non-working people, either uh, uh, such as what y'all mentioned earlier. This is David Pike County. They use private contract or government-owned vehicles. Why can't we do the same for people for transportation? Yeah, mostly what that involves is, uh, is Medicaid. And that's the way the state operates its Medicaid program to get folks who otherwise don't have any transportation. Because remember, Medicaid, you've got blind, disabled, you've got indigent elderly, and children, but pregnant women. Those are the coverage groups in, in base Medicaid that Mississippi participates in right now. So children can't drive themselves. They're half of the Medicaid recipients, and they often don't have a way, um, even with their, their caretaker, to, uh, to travel. They're not mobile when they got to go to the doctor. Certainly blind and disabled people, that's a, it's an issue, obviously, for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you, you could get creative, David, certainly, if, if transportation is a, is a primary one obstacle. Thing, one thing Daryl had mentioned to me when we were visiting was, you know, it, it's transportation is, a, is an issue. However, when he does have a job, he, he wants to work full-time, but he's getting piecemeal. 
Yeah. You're getting 20 hours, 24 hours, yeah. 19 hours. He goes, I want more. I want, you know, if I had more hours, I may be able to afford better transportation. Okay, that so makes sense. We have certain issues like that. And then one of the answers to your question about the Georgia, why there's so many counties, yeah. it's because a country farmer, rancher, or lumberman should be able to travel to the legal county seat, town or city, and then back home in one day on horseback or via wagon. Okay, that's but it. that's... Couple hundred years old though, yeah. right? So, but how many counties? Aren't there like a hundred and thirty or something? Yeah, it is a bunch. Uh, it says it's. Uh, you look at how chopped up that thing is, and it's like wow, mm-hmm. little bitty counties, yeah. and of course that's expensive, you know, because you have all the overhead associated with operating a county. Um, when you think about the county seat, county government, the county law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, and you have 159. 159, okay. So I was off about 20 or so. But think about that, 159, a state that's about the same size area-wise as the state of Mississippi, that's double, essentially, double the number of counties. That is mind-boggling. Let's see. Um, my brother-in-law, Oscar, from Guatemala, with his family, sent a photo here. This is Neil from McGee. Runs a successful restaurant, McGee Fernando's, Trump supporter, and very thankful to be here. Uh, Neil, I want to say that I, I had the pleasure of eating lunch there after one of the remotes we did uh, within the last year, and the food was excellent. So was the service. I think, uh, Neil, you're the one that facilitated <laughs> that that uh, that invitation, let's say, to, to stop in on my way back home. I think we were down um, south of there, if I'm not mistaken, in the Collins area, doing a remote. I appreciate that, Neil. Beautiful family as well, and and thank him for, again... We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Back with you in the Element Well studio. We should also remind that Mississippi Blood Services is in desperate need for O negative and O positive, B negative and B positive, A negative. Of course, we should point out that they'll take all types of blood. They always need all types, but in particular, there is a critical need. You can call Mississippi Blood Services at 601-368-2673 or go to msblood.com to find a blood drive near you. So on the national scene, it's uh, former President Donald Trump. He runs away with the Iowa caucuses. In the state of Mississippi, the governor announced a $1.9 billion project slated for Marshall County, Mississippi. It's a consortium of a couple of automobile manufacturing concerns, and uh, and they intend to build batteries. K-Dog and Williams, uh, Wiggins, pardon me, for electric vehicles says, since electric vehicles don't sell, how long will that company last? Well, there are, as we indicated, some clawback provisions, uh, protections in the, uh, the incentives being provided to this company. Here's what I'll say about EVs. I've said before so many times, I, I think it's premature. I don't think they're ready for prime time. I don't think they're practical. We're seeing Lance reports of EVs stranded uh, to try to get to a charging station or stuck at charging stations, all that kind of stuff, because of the, the uh, wintry weather. and the. Uh, of course, it slows you down, but that doesn't slow the batteries charged down or the consumption uh, by the vehicle of the batteries charged down necessarily. So, yeah, uh, there's a problem. However, there's so much, guys, so much 
new technology in development right now to address all of these issues, all of these concerns, everything that makes EVs today impractical for mainstream use. And by mainstream, I mean that the majority of the vehicles in the country are EVs. you got Hertz. You've probably seen the report to the chagrin of the Biden administration says, we got 20,000 of these EVs. We're going to dump them and replace them with fossil fuels-based uh, vehicles. They're, they're maintenance issues. Uh, folks don't want to rent them. They fear that they get stuck, can't get them charged. All the same stuff that the average buyer is concerned about. No doubt. However, got to have some faith in the power of human innovation. And there's a lot of stuff going on. I talked the other day about quantum computers being used to sort through gazillions of different material composites and combinations in an effort to determine the, uh, the best formation uh, the, the best ingredients, if you will, from a materials perspective to produce the most efficient and the most reliable um, EV batteries. Just lithium batteries, period, right? And it may not be lithium. That's the point. So right now, that's, that's what they are. So I agree. There's a million problems. Not practical. I'm not ready for one. That's for sure. But it's coming, and we will get there because of human innovation, I can't tell you exactly when that's going to be. And the only point I'm trying to make with respect to this project, guarantee you they know that. They're not spending $2 billion to write off in a couple of years. They know. They're planning on those innovations. They're planning on the evolution. Again, I think it's wrong and misguided for the government to force the timetable. That's a disaster. I don't agree with the government writing checks to people to persuade them and coerce them to invest in all this Green New Deal crap, which, of course, includes um, EVs and electric panels and water heaters and solar panels and uh, electric appliances and all that sort of stuff. I oppose that. I think that's misguided. I think that's bad legislation. And it's just the government trying to force behavior with money. I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, you remember back in it, you know, it was early in Obama's first term when they did the cash for clunkers deal. Oh, yeah. And you basically got about an $8,000 freebie on your taxes if you went out and purchased a street ready golf cart. Uh, I remember my dad did it. He was like, well, it's basically free. Yeah, that's right. That's right. uh, You know, within two years, the batteries were no good and the. You would have spent uh, quite a bit of money replacing those. So the technology was not there yet for what they were purchasing. So that thing gets scrapped eventually. But, you know, it's, it, those are the pro- Same type of programs I have a problem with. Yeah. It's throwing away money instead of creating a real solution. And that, that there is, you know, it's just one of those problems where, like I said, you're picking winners and losers. The market is good at doing that if you will get out of the way. But at the same time, you, you can see the value in electric vehicles. I mean, you you got to be able to see the value, but it can't be everything right now. Yeah. You can't put all your eggs in that basket. Yeah, you, you probably need innovation. So. And, and, and so I, I think that's coming. So I, I'm for, a, I'm for a, um, a, a parallel in that we continue to develop efficient fossil fuels vehicles, and we continue to create and produce those to meet demand while we still also work on improving electric vehicles. Well, and that's the thing. The oil burners need to be com- they need to compete in order to be more efficient in the long run as well. That's right. So it's fair to say oil 
burning engines, gasoline engines, should be able to compete head-to-head against EVs, and, and that will drive the development of new technologies it and does. innovation and that. If you take that away and you just pick a winner, you don't get that. I, I agree. It, it's, it's, it's quite the catalyst for innovation and improvement on all fronts. Totally agree. Stephen Brookhaven says we need workers, but why invest workers in something that doesn't work? EVs don't work. It's an economic loss. Well, I don't know that it's an economic loss, but, you know, I, I do have some degree of confidence that the folks that are putting up the 1.9 Dalmer Chrysler, I think, isn't that part of Mercedes-Benz, if I'm not mistaken? And, and um, uh, Pacar, and I can't remember the other uh, organization involved in that, they're willing to put up $1.9 billion and hire a bunch of people. I haven't seen the exact incentive package the state is offering, but again, with proper controls and, and, and clawbacks, and, and scheduling of how the benefits are earned, I think the state could protect itself in that regard. I feel confident that the governor has uh, and his staff and the MDA have ensured that that is the case in, in this deal. Uh, but in the meantime, if, if they're going to hire a bunch of people and pay them 66000 bucks a year plus benefits, uh, it's going to be around for a while uh, before, I guess, if they ever got to a point where they say, yeah, this isn't viable. But I think as time goes on, it become more viable because of the innovations that I mentioned. My, my faith, my confidence is in the, the ingenuity of American inventors. Uh, now, does that mean you don't sometimes go backward a couple? Sure. Sometimes you have to go backward two or three to go forward five or six. That's just business. That's entrepreneurship. That's how the best ideas come to, uh, come to fruition. That's how they happen. You, gotta, you fail sometimes. You pick yourself up. You stay with it. That's not unusual. That's the beauty of the American system. We just don't want government impeding that dynamic, that process. That's, that's where it gets scary, where the government wants to force this and force that and force this. So I'm excited. And then again, there's another one coming that can't say much about, but there's another one coming in a week uh, that is, is going to be also massive. I'll just put it that way. Well, and you know, our state is extremely rich with, with natural gas. Yeah, it's everywhere. I've always been curious why we haven't seen more of a move to use liquefied natural gas as a competitor. As well, I remember being a kid when you we would. I had a friend or two that had butane running vehicles. Now they'll do it off of uh, I think propane, but originally the, you know the big butane tank in the back. Yeah. But that technology has not in any way been focused upon, and there's been really no innovation in it, which it seemed to work very good back then. Same I, with I, nuclear. Exactly. Same with nuclear. You know, Same deal. Out of sight, out of mind, I guess. And, yeah. Exactly. Know. By the way, I did see another report from the International International Energy association there the guys that track the production of oil and gas and and energy all forms of energy all sources of, en- of energy across the planet we are producing more oil in this country than we ever have i know that's hard to believe we're producing more about a million barrels a day more in the united states right now than we did in uh, in 2020 however i believe if the biden administration had not been so so gung-ho and so overt about wanting to put the fossil fuels industry out of the out of business i think the trajectory would have been to an even greater level than it is now but oil is a global commodity and and so while we're seeing an increase in the production here we're seeing a pullback somewhat uh, by other producers this country still produces more than any other in the world um and i i do think you know we've heard 
President Donald Trump say that he drill, baby, drill, that would be day one. One of the first things he'd do is that and close the border and then apparently mobilize some effort to deport everybody that's here illegally. I mean, he's made that very clear. That's his plan day one. But, you know, sometimes, Lance, just the, just the attitude, just the communication can be stimulative to business, more so sometimes than the policy itself. When the rhetoric coming out of the White House is, we're shutting it down, well, then they pull back. They hunker down and say, we ain't spending any money to develop any new oil and gas. But when you say, we need you, we embrace it, we support it, please, well, then that's right. It's, it's as much that the, uh, the communication, the, the positioning, the messaging, as it is the policy. Because when you when I, I did some research on this, I mean the Biden administration really, other than the XL pipeline, which would have been you know of significance, really hasn't been most oil and gas in this country is explored on private property, not public. Really haven't shut it down to the level that they intended, um, and they thought that how they would shut it down is through all these goofy cash incentives to go buy EVs and electric appliances. That's how they thought, but people are saying, no, we ain't buying it, uh, Joe. And so they keep doing the same thing. That, so th- their plan's not working. Coming right back with final segment on Middays. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. It appears that Thomas and Greenwood is not a big proponent of economic development. He says, any incentives for the businesses in that area that will see employees scout by the subsidized new business at least? What do you, what do you mean, Thomas? How are employees, employees of the company, going to be scalped? Or are you talking about other employees being scalped by the – I don't get it. I don't know how they're going to be scalped. I don't know what you mean. You said, I support the state writing a check with my money to incentivize a battery plant in Mississippi. Remind me not to engage Thomas if I intend to uh, make an investment for which I'm looking for a return. So it's like you write a check for 100 and you get 1000 back. That's not a good deal. Right, Thomas? That's what you're saying, because that's what this is. So you can either say, no, we're not going to give you a check for 100 in which case you get 0.00. Or you can say, here's $100, and they give you 1000 Well, and, and, and your way of thinking, too, and I'm, I'm with you on this, is that, I mean, we're saying, though, that the government doesn't incentivize any other businesses out there? I mean, what about Walmart when they come into a town, or a manufacturer? Or, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of incentives, to because you're recruiting businesses against 50 states. It's not a zero-sum game, right? I mean, you've got to create a package. That I goes, wish it were the case, <laughs> to your point, that... Uh, that this wasn't didn't even come into play, but it's just a fact, and it's either the the business says, well, okay, here's what we got from your neighboring states, and your choice is to say, okay, pass, you just have to go there. In which case, we have zero investment, new investment, significant of significance, 
When so you got the upper hand when you're dangling the the carrot of a 1.9 billion dollar investment, you got the upper hand. And and so they're going to shop that. I don't blame them. So it's essentially it turns into a free market. Now I understand there there's some aversion to the idea that that government's even playing here, but fact is, companies. Pay taxes, their employees pay taxes. And by the way, it's not just income taxes. We're talking about ad valorem taxes. We're talking about um, corporate income taxes. And, of course, there's uh, the, the taxes that the staff pays, like the Continental Tire Plant. Part of the incentive there was based on the amount of income taxes the employees would be paying, and that was part of the deal. So, And there was a question, by the way, will deal, details be released informing the public of incentives incentives offered by Mississippi. Yes, in fact, that's what the special session will be about, is the legislature approving the package that is being offered. And so, yeah, that's all going to be a public record. And again, um, there have been some cases, I'll admit, in the past where Mississippi uh, essentially paid those incentives in advance and then got burned and that, that the expectations were not fulfilled. And uh, and they pulled out, or the, or just the, the the project just didn't materialize as pro, as projected, as committed. Yeah, and the state uh, was upside down. That's well, happened in the past. That is the importance of doing your research, knowing the people that you're voting for, and electing great leaders. Because what you're actually trying to do here is, when you pay taxes, entrust that those funds get invested in the most pressing best return, highest need items in the state. And and so that's where you are. You're entrusting leaders to make investments with your money. Well, I'll just say that I know the governor is aware of the risk of these incentive packages uh, to new businesses, new projects, and that, uh, again, if the commitments aren't fulfilled, then, then the state is not a good deal for the state. State could end up on on the losing side of the of the proposition. I'm confident that, that the governor and his staff and MDA have uh, have crafted a package that uh, includes maximum protections for the state for those sorts of situations. So, uh, I believe this is going to be a really good deal for the state. And again, there's another one coming next week that is quite large as well, and it's a similar situation in that uh, there's a bit of an incentive package involved in it. But, man, when you look at the potential revenue from the deal, which is less than it would be if it were full boat, but if it were full boat, you get zero. See, that's the point. It's like you can either have $500 or zero. Which one you want? Well, I want a thousand. We ain't paying you a thousand. It's the bird in the hand, too, in the bush. <laughs> and that's exactly that's the way economic development works, folks. I, I wish that weren't the case. And if you could get all fifty states to come together and form a pact, say we're just not giving any incentives. Okay, well then you could you could cancel all this out. It'd just be the so-called level playing field where there's no competition whatsoever uh, on the basis of economic incentive. The chances of that happening are zero to none to slim to nada. So we have to work within the environment. 
And I uh, feel good about the way Mississippi and Mississippi's leaders have handled this situation and those involved in economic development. I don't want to overlook them at the local and and county level as well. They are critical. They have a huge role in this. Good news for the state of Mississippi. Let's, Let's keep it that way. Folks, we're out of time here today. Thanks, Lance, for filling in. We are back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.